in South Carolina sucks. But with that, with that said, welcome to Couch on Fire podcast. I'm Rob, and you are. I'm Fred. Oh, hey, Fred. Stranger. Hey, Rob. <laughs> um, so Fred here. I asked him to be on this podcast for one. I kind of known him for a long time. It's uh, it's kind of funny how long I've known him. Um, middle school. Middle school. I, you know, it's crazy. I knew of you in elementary school, but I didn't know you in elementary school. Yeah, I didn't even know you went to the same elementary school as me. I um, well, you went to Joptown, right? Well, yeah, yeah, you did. That's where you met Sean. So basically, that's how I knew you. I knew I knew of you through the Eulers, and. Mm. I did not meet you until middle school. Well, you were in seventh. I think I was in sixth. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how it is. But anyway, um, I wanted Fred to be on this podcast because I wanted him to talk about his experience. You know, Fred's been, let's just say, musically gifted for many, many years. <laughs> He's been in, um, I would say a couple bands. Let's not push it. I would say a couple bands because I mean, unless you want, I just want to say one band. You just renamed it, um, but I think you've you've. No, it's, 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 it's a couple. It's a couple. Yeah, different, different variations. There's been common people, common variables in each of those bands, but it's it's been different bands. The the, the writing style has been different, and know, there's been a lot of differences in the way we approach things. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. But I I just want to say I just want to be clear. The whole reason I came on this podcast, number one, was to beg you to play Gears of War with me again, because <laughs> nobody plays anymore, and it's really sad. I well, know the game's not the greatest, and I heard you shit talk it on your podcast, but I, come on, man. That ge- Gears. Listen, I have a Gears tattoo on my arm, for the people that don't know. Gears of War, this <laughs> this wonderful video game. Um, so, a funny note, I bought in, the t- just to let you know... I bought a Nintendo Switch because supposedly the new Gears of War is going to be supported on Nintendo Switch. I've read all these articles about how Microsoft Live is going to be put on the Nintendo. And I was like, oh, okay. So the dream is to be sitting on the toilet chainsawing people. <laughs> so, I, I mean, if this is true, but yes. But no, I, I don't care. I don't mind. I think, yeah, I don't mind playing Gears. I think Ryan actually reached out. He said something to me a couple – a couple of weeks ago about playing in and I was like I don't know but yeah, but since you're play but since you're asking <laughs> <laughs> the other reason I came on here was to shit talk shit talk Joe Stoughton because uh, oh man that's always fun to do oh man <laughs> I mean, he was a previous guest yes he is for those out there listening I actually work with Joe I've known Joe for quite a while Joe, um, he was a previous. He was on a couple episodes, and I think he wants to be on a couple more episodes. And um, Joe, sit in line. It's like no, I'm joking. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's awful at Halo. He's he's really bad at Halo and Smash. He's oh, just man. he's just he, the worst. Now you're Greg is so much better. It's, Greg is so much better at every game, pretty much. Oh man, now you're starting some shit. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, going to work tomorrow, and he's just gonna punch me. If he listens to this, I don't even know. <laughs> well, whenever he listens, if he listens, he's probably going to punch me in the face. Oh, I love it. Please record it and put it on Facebook, social media all the way. <laughs> all right. So questions. I have some questions for Fred. I wanted to know a little bit more on your, your take on local music. I'll probably do a podcast with my own take um, sometime later this week. 
Um, but I wanted to know your take. Since you were a musician, uh, you, your weapons of choice was drums, correct? Correct. Yes. So what, like, what, what started it? Like, what was your influences? Um, well, what started it, uh, honestly, was Greg. Um, no, it, it started way earlier than that. My father is kind of one of those guys that can just play anything and he's good at it. You know, he sings really well. Like he's just amazing. And I inherited about one tenth of that ability. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I'm not a much of a singer. I do a little bit of backup, but, um, I tried to play guitar early on when I was younger. Uh Uh-oh. Let me do it first. Um, I tried to play guitar when I was younger. Uh, tried several times to learn it, and you know I was always a smaller guy, and I just I don't know. It didn't really click well with me, and my fingers were small, so it hurt. And then I didn't want to play, and you know it, it, it took a while for me to to even just learn some chords. But um, I, I wanted to do something with music from an early age, and drums were always kind of there in the back of my mind. But you know having a drum set it's loud it takes up a lot of space so I didn't really pursue it until I was in I want to say I was like sixth grade probably um it was in middle school I think it was sixth grade um I there was a music store in Towson it was called Mars Music and it's no longer there I guess they went out of business years ago but uh they had like this intro to drum lesson kind of deal going on it was like a classroom based thing where it was pretty much all snare drum work you learned how to do you know paradiddles and things like that and and uh you know just basic snare drum and stick holding techniques and stuff like that so uh i did that and it was like i don't know it was like five six classes maybe six seven classes i don't know something like that and uh kind of did that and afterwards i was like yeah i like this i'm gonna play more so um, we signed up for like one-on-one lessons and I did a handful of those and um, you know with parents schedule and trying to take me all the way to Towson at the time which was you know a half hour away and uh, we decided my dad you know was just basically like well we could keep doing this or why don't we could get you a drum set and you could practice at home and if you want to pursue it then we'll keep going you know so kind of was like okay so um use what you know money i had saved from birthdays and things like that and bought pretty much the cheapest drum set imaginable so so funny funny thing i actually remember that drum set i remember i think i walked into your house you had uh towels on like the snare drum and stuff and i I never understood why until later in life but i was just like (laughs) i was sitting there i was just i remember that little tiny drum set (laughs) well it wasn't like tiny it was it It wasn't it was a full size yeah just uh it looked you know, it, it compared to what you have now. I'm sure it looks small, <laughs> yeah. but um, uh, I remember that. I remember I I remember seeing it like r- as soon as you walk in. You live in like a, a you have an upstairs and a downstairs, and you have like a little foyer right there. I think down right down and right downstairs, like bam, it was right there. <laughs> well, at least the yeah, time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I, when, so I think when you first saw it is when I first started playing with Greg and Brian. Um, oh yeah, uh, but. Yeah, to, to to not skip over some stuff, I'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this drum set was like three hundred fifty dollars. It came with cymbals that were oh my god, the worst. They were awful. But you know, I was in sixth grade. I was just learning. It was great for me, and I loved it. Um, 
I played it for a couple months, messed around with it, you know, and that was about it. <laughs> and then it, and then it kind of sat for a few years. You know, I'd get on it every once in a while and fiddle around with it, but I didn't really pursue it until it was pretty much senior year in high school. Um, Greg, actually, him and I were chatting on, I guess it was AOL Instant Messenger, for all of you little Aim. kids out there. Yes. <laughs> that predates pretty much every messaging app ever um, <laughs> that you've heard of, with the exception of like Yahoo Messenger and MSN Messenger, which they haven't heard of. Uh, so yeah, we were on AIM, and we were chatting, and got talking about music, and because I guess Greg had brought a guitar to school, and was playing, I don't know if he was taking a guitar class there or what. But him and I were chatting, and I was like, yeah, I got a drum set, you know, I fiddle around with. And he was like, oh, really? And, you know, we started talking, and he's like, well, how about, you know, me and my buddy Brian, we're trying to start a band. Why don't we come over and jam with you? And I'm like, uh, sure, just as long as you know that I'm really not good. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, it's cool. So he came over and, you know, started just messing around, and that kind of sparked it in me. So I got, you know, I was like, oh, this is fun, you know, because I've never been one to just – put on headphones and just jam out by myself for a while like yeah. i like creating music so that that was that was what was missing that spark like the cre the creative spark was missing because i you know i only fiddled around on it and i could play basic beats and that was about it so once uh once they came over and we started jamming and greg had actually uh i guess he was in marching band or whatever and so he knew a little bit of he could play a little bit so he kind of showed me some stuff and then from then on it kind of kind of took off and well, you know, here's a here's a funny story. You talk about Greg being he was in guitar guitar lab in high school. Yeah. Um because so at the time I was dating a girl named Jenna and she was in the same class as Greg mm -hmm. and they both stole a guitar and I actually have it right behind me right now. <laughs> I have the guitar lab guitar. So Greg Greg Lucianer, if you're listening to this right now, I have that shit behind me. It has been through my hands, Brian Bamford's hands, Ryan Testament's hands, some weird people in Hawaii that he don't even know about, Greg, <laughs> Greg Max. It's been through a lot of hands, and but it's back to me. So if you want it back, go eat eat a dick because I'm never giving it back. To you. <laughs> but I do actually have it. I have it. So he definitely knew what he was doing because, um, yeah, I yeah. So fun. That was a little side story while you were talking about that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's how it all started. Um, that's awesome. That's was awesome. Another, was there another part to that question? I don't remember. No, it was just uh, your influences. Obviously, your dad. Uh, was there a certain type of music you listened to that was really an influence? Um, not not so much a specific type. Uh, I mean, back in you know middle school, high school, like pretty much whatever was on the radio, I listened to. I I didn't buy a lot of CDs or cassettes back in the day. You know, I just kind of listened to what was on the radio. So, um, when I started playing, you know, it was little bit of pop punk in there I, I wasn't really big into pop punk i was more you know i liked a little bit of grunge i liked a little bit of the harder rock stuff not yeah. so much metal but just kind of hard rock you know True fighter and you know nirvana and you know incubus and, and bands like that you know when i first started and then uh later on i i i guess it was uh, it was probably a few years after the album came out, but I, I really became big into Alter Bridge, which was mm -hmm. basically Creed with uh, Miles Kennedy as the front man. And he, they're just completely different from Creed. I know people hear Creed and they're like, eh, but uh, they're, they're just Listen. an epic band and, and everything they write is a masterpiece. And I, I've just been a fanboy ever since. And I've seen them probably like seven times live. 
Well, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I remember I remember that. I remember Scott. I think his name's Scott Staff or Stab or what is his freaking Scott name? Scott Staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he became like Before straight he went crazy. And then he went alcoholic. And then he went like God. Yeah. And then it was like weird. <laughs> he went down a road that many of us didn't want to follow. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. But that's awesome. Yeah, I remember. See, I remember. I remember you. I remember. Um, well. In in our neighborhood, if you want to consist of uh, the town that we live in, there was a couple different people like trying to be musicians. And I remember when oh, yeah. you, I remember when you, Brian and Greg, um, were you know jamming and things like that. Um, this is something that I'm not proud of, but I am a horrible musician. I never will ever pick up a, uh, an instrument again. Like I said, that guitar is literally behind me, and I'll never touch it. Um, you had a bass. I did have a bass. I tried. Did you paint it pink. I tried. Yes, I tried my best. <laughs> I tried my best to be a bass player because I was like, "Listen, I suck at guitar. I definitely can't sing." Well, at some people later in life thought I could sing, um, but at the time, I can't do anything. And you got you had a birthday party in your backyard, or who had a birthday party? It was a cookout. Uh, that might have been my graduation party. graduation party from high school, and yeah. you three needed a bass player, and for some odd reason, I don't know why I was there. <laughs> did you play in that? I, I, I did. I, I, I can vaguely remember. I like, was. That was my, my backyard. Had, it was like flat, and then there was like a hill. A hill. And yep. We were on top of the hill. We were using that as a stage, and it was it was yeah. awesome. That was the first and last time I've ever attempted to play bass. Um, I have much respect for people that are talented, but not me. Um, <laughs> Interesting story about that graduation party is that our next-door neighbors decided to have a cookout the same day, and they were not thrilled that we were playing music. <laughs> I didn't they know. were not happy about it, yeah. It was uh, just a weird coincidence that their well, cookout was on the same day, but yeah. I, I, remember, I remember because we were at um, – we were just covering songs, I think. We did a couple of. We only had like three originals yeah. that we had written, but yeah, we were covering songs. We did a couple of Green Day. We did like and, Nirvana, you know. And I remember Greg being so pissed off at me because I was. I, we practiced like I came over for a practice, and he would be so pissed off at me because I couldn't get it, and he was just like, "Damn it, Rob, do this!" And I'm just like, "Yeah." Uh, uh. And then Brian Bamford, who looks exactly the same, by the way. <laughs> yes, he does. He, um, long hair. Longer yeah. hair. He used to have short, spiky hair. He's got more of that. Yeah, never mind. Um, if Casey's listening. <laughs> anyway, yes, he does have a little bit longer hair, but he wears the exact same size shoe on clothes and everything. And um, I was friends with Brian more than I was friends with Greg. And obviously, I've known you longer than one of them. So, I, you know, but yeah, I remember that day. That was that was my brief run in with uh, local music, as me playing an instrument. Um, well, with that said, after that, um, what happened next? So, did that band? What was the name of that band? Did you guys have a name? So, uh, we did. I think with that band, it was called Epic Front or something stupid. Uh, oh. Man, the, we love, had, like I, I said, we names. had like three originals. So we only played like, aside from my graduation party, we only played like two shows. And our very first show was a spur of the moment thing. You remember the 
Joppa Town, that every year they would have the carnival. They would have the, the yes. baseball parade, yes. and it would lead all the way down Joppa Farm Road to the high school, and then they would have a carnival. And they had like four rides total. <laughs> it was a pretty lame <laughs> carnival. But they did that every year. And this one year, I guess uh, Sean Spann's band uh, at the time, I, I don't remember the first name, but then they were called The Last Kiss or something. It was uh, inf- Infrared. A horrible name, by the way. I thought they changed it to oh, well, the last case before they started playing out, but I don't, either way. Well, yeah. Well, we'll find out because he that's John Candelari's – no, not John Candelari. Jeff Candelari is going to be a, a, another guest on here about lo, his version of local music. I can't wait to hear yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Sean Spann and the, the Candelaria brothers, they, they had a band and mm-hmm. – uh, you know, John and Jeff were, were they were they were just those guys that just, you know, they kind of picked shit up and it just they were just good at it, you know. And uh, so they were, you know, as far as a local high school band, they were pretty good. And uh, they were playing. They were planned to play at this carnival. I don't know who they coordinated it through, whatever. But there was literally like a trailer that they were using as a stage, like a flat trailer. And uh they were going to play and then I guess Brian or Greg was over there talking to him and was like hey you guys want to play you want to open for us and we were like okay so I ran home which was like two minutes away got my drum set came out and that was you know we played our two three songs I think it was three songs whatever it was and that was our first show (laughs) and uh, a few weeks later we played at the JH Estival oh if you remember that oh yes i do headliners were all time low way before they got signed there's Uh, a you can actually see the video of this festival on youtube fred can you well you you don't know if i want to see that (laughs) i will say it's mostly all time low they they whoever whoever edited it but if you look up all time low like because yeah if you look that up you can see like uh the banners that hung below and one was like it was oh man, it was just it was it was very old. But yes, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, I still have the uh, the the pass. They they gave passes out to the bands <laughs> and on a little lanyard. I still have that somewhere. But yeah, so that we were we were playing that uh, a few weeks after our first show, and again we only had like three songs, so we didn't really do much, and we didn't have a bass player, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty awful experience. I mean, it was a good experience for me because <laughs> I was amped, I was playing in front of people, like it was awesome, and it really, you know, got that that spark, you know, kind of reignited because it was like playing in my parents' house, you know, either in the living room or upstairs in the spare bedroom. Like playing there is one thing, but playing in front of people is just completely different. And I, you know, me myself, I'm I'm sort of an introvert. Like I I don't go out to a lot of places like you know I'll go out and do things but I'm not one to go out and mingle and go out to parties and I've never been that guy so um you know for me to go on stage it was completely nerve-wracking for me like it was oh man I thought my heart was gonna beat out of my chest you know playing in front of like a room full of people on a stage like it was ridiculous but I made it through it and you know kind (laughs) of kind of after that well, uh, it guess... paved it paved the road for you. I mean, you know, yeah. I I can I can see that. I now as an older adult, I can give a shit less what people think, and I could probably be on the stage. But back then, it's very scary. So I can just only imagine what you were going through, but you still did it. So that's you know, I commend you for that because it's just it's very hard to do things like that. 
It uh, is. Um, I think part of what kind of helped me a little bit is um, like, okay, so in middle school, I was in a Charlie Brown musical and I played Schroeder. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first time on stage ever. And I was in the chorus and, you know, we'd go out and have concerts at the school, but like that was a little different. You know, it's, you're up there with a group of people and, you know, I wasn't a loud singer, so nobody probably heard me or anything, but, uh, you know, I was in I was in a musical, and I have a VHS of it that I'm going to bury at some point, so <laughs> nobody will ever see it. Uh, it's actually at my parents' house, but time castle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's just going to get buried, and I'm not telling anybody where it is. Um, so that was like my first experience being on stage, and then I didn't do aside from the choir, the chorus, and stuff through school because I I was in chorus up till about ninth or tenth grade. Um, then I took drama. Drama one and drama two, um, I think eleventh and twelfth uh, grade years. So like I was kind of like getting out of my shell a little bit, but I you know I'm not, I'm not I was never one to go up and, and be the center of attention. I was, it just wasn't me. So it, it was it was really nerve wracking to be up there and play music because it's like what if I mess up? What if I drop a stick? What if I can't hear this? What if I can't hear that? What if I miss this change? What you know all this stuff's like racing through my head, and you know it. it probably went pretty well um i don't remember messing up or anything uh i just know that i wasn't very good at the time and we as a band weren't very good so um but yeah that 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 started it well, off and uh well i feel like the that's so natural though to be in your head anytime you're on stage doing anything i feel like that's a just a natural like impulse to just think that like oh, oh man i'm gonna i'm gonna up i'm gonna do this this is what's gonna happen i'm gonna fart i mean I, you know just little <laughs> things like that so i could yeah. i could you know i can definitely see that so i i still do it to this day i'm, I'm a like you know how i guess there's a thing where you know a lot of people tend to be harder on themselves than they are on other mm -hmm. people like that's i'm one of those people like i'm always really hard on myself so if i screw up i just get in a bad mood and you know there's times i've played shows where i'm messing up left and right and it's just not my night and I'm just aggravated, you know, as soon as we're done playing, like I'm leaving because I feel like I put on such a crappy performance and, you know, people are coming out to pay, pay uh, money to see us. And, you know, I just, I feel really bad. And then there's times when the show goes great and, you know, I'm, Hey, let's hang out, you know, let's go to friendlies afterwards or let's go to uh, uh, Denny's or whatever. Let's go hang out after, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm still like that to this day. I'm very hard on myself and, you know, I, I'm no Neil Pert, but, I uh, I try really hard, and when I'm up on stage, I do my best. And if I don't do, if if I don't play up to my standards, yeah, it it bothers me. So do you ever like <laughs> during um during any sets? I I know you know I just I wanted to ask you this because it's fresher in your brain. Do you ever mess up so bad where you just you're so pissed at yourself in the middle of a set, but you just keep going, or do you just have you ever stopped because you were so upset or? I've or, never stopped. Um, okay. There's been times when, like, you know, so as a drummer, I try to be prepared for dropping sticks, right? I yeah. always have, like, a little thing next to me with sticks in it. There's been shows where I forget to put that there, and it's, like, sitting behind me on the floor. So, yeah, there's been times when I drop a stick, and I'm playing with one stick, and I'm like, what do I do? And then, you know, luckily, like, my guitar player, Mike, will see that, and he'll come over and grab it and hand it back to me. <laughs> you know? So there's like a 10-second like thing in there where it's like, it sounds weird because I, yeah. you know, you don't hear the hi-hat anymore. You just hear kick and snare, and it's like, but, I, I mean, I, it's, was, you know, it's been years since something like that's happened because I've 
Mastered. You know, I don't say mastered, but I kind of <laughs> prepare a little better now for that kind of thing. Oh, uh, well, while we're continuing this journey of learning about you, um, you finally, so you're playing with them, you gave your show, everything was good. Um, when you're, when you're ready to upgrade your kit, or, you know, since you're a drummer, you have to upgrade your kit, what do you look for? What are you looking for in drums? Like, what, what do you look for? It might be different from another drummer, but what do you look for in when you're upgrading a, a drum kit? Um, so my tastes have evolved over the years. Um, my, I, like I said, I had my first kit. I actually, uh, that first kit, I before we played the JH Festival, JH Festival or the <laughs> Carnival, like I actually, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, it is. I was just <laughs> listening to you say it's like I think, sounds... I think HF Festival, but then you say JH Festival, and it's like that doesn't make sense. But that's what it was called. It sounds like a disease, uh, and it really was. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I actually upgraded my kit before I actually played in front of people because I was like this is a terrible kit mainly the cymbals the cymbals were garbage so mm -hmm. um, you know I ended up getting a Guitar Center credit card and going and they had some Labor Day sale or something and I ended up getting this amazing Pearl Export oh, was that the 20th anniversary edition it was purple and black I was, was going to awesome. say was it was yeah. that the purple kit I remember that purple kit yeah yeah <laughs> that was that was it was amazing I still have it it's in the shed and it's got a lot of uh wear and tear on it from i think i played used that for like seven or eight years playing shows like just like once a month you know we're out there playing shows plus practice every week and that thing that, that thing held out really well over the but yeah that was my first kit i got that and i got uh like the zildjian zbt pack which was like zildjian's cheapest symbols and i, I don't know i spent all this money and went and got this kit <coughs> and started using that you know playing and and you know over time i added stuff like the first thing i upgraded was symbols because the symbols i had weren't very good so i started replacing them like one at a time because they're way overpriced in my opinion um then i got a double bass pedal and then did, i started trying to learn how to use that did um, you get like a I'm I'm pretty sure it was you. I, I've been I've been to a lot of I've I've met a lot of people in my life. I'm trying to think. Was it you that got the like the metal bars that go around the kit? Yeah, like the so frame. Actually, the frame. Yeah, yeah. So John Candelaria had one first. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was awesome. So eventually, I did get one. Um, I I loved it for a while, and I I liked it for a lot of reasons because it's cool when you get to a place, you set your kit up everything's mounted to the rack except for like the snare and kick you know so everything's on this rack so you just basically carry it up onto the stage well when you start playing out in the music scene in baltimore you're playing in these small places and it doesn't really go well with these small places because you don't really have places to set up a whole kit and move it on stage and even the stage itself is usually small so this big rack is taking up all this space and Okay. So, yeah, I, I did get one, and I used it for years, um, but eventually I did sell it, and I kind of regret it because um, it was it's a really solid piece of uh, hardware, and it was funny because when I bought it, it was like, I think it was $289 when I bought it. When I sold it, they were the exact same rack had almost doubled in price. They were going for like 430 or 440 or something brand new. Wow. So when I sold mine... 
I actually lost no money on it. I sold it for like 300 bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I actually like broke even on it. And that was, I don't know, four or five years after mm -hmm. I bought it. So yeah, that was, that was cool. Um, but anyway, back to your question. Um, yeah, my, my tastes have evolved over the years. When I was starting out, I kind of looked at these big, massive drum kits. I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is what I want. I want to have six you know, rack toms, and I want to have a snare drum and a side snare, and I want to have 38 cymbals around me. And, well, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure when, you, when you see music <laughs> videos, you're probably like, that looks fucking dope. I want to um, do that. I want that. <laughs> like, yeah, so... Yeah, and like you look at like Neil Peart, and you do you see all these drummers on YouTube where they're doing these solos, and like they're basically like spinning in a circle playing because they have so much crap around them. And I'm like, cool. And then when you start playing shows and you have to lug all that crap around, you're like, I don't want this anymore. And uh, you you quickly learn to evolve, and it got got to a point where I, I was playing I played on a five piece kit for like a long time with the rack and everything, and then. I got rid of the rack and was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want this anymore. So I got rid of that and uh, was playing on that five-piece kit. And I was kind of setting my things up. I was experimenting with different configurations. And um, eventually I did get a new Pearl kit. I got a Pearl Vision kit, which um, was a little bit beefier, a little bit heavier because it was made of birch instead of like poplar and a little bit punchier sounding. And uh, it was a great kit. Um, so I started using that one. For, I, I use that for, I don't know, maybe four or five years before so, I really stopped using that one. But so that that's when things started to really change. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say a quick question while you were talking about that. Um, so it, different kits can actually give you different sounds? Like I, I always hear these things like golfers like, oh, you know, this best driver. But then the old time golfers are like, this driver I've had for 20 years can do just as best as that like guitar players i always in my mind nothing against guitar players but i feel like one can like a, a 400 dollars guitar could still sound like a thousand dollars guitar. it's all about the player so i didn't know if drum kits are kind of that way it's all about you not really the drum kit the only thing that's difference yes. is is oh. like you know you can add another you know a tom here or anything else Right, so there's, uh, I'm sure it's the same for guitar and everything, but for drums, there's there's a ton of variables that go into it. So, um, just just the the wood of the drum shells itself can affect the sound. Um, now, when you're, I will say this, when you're playing at a live like Record Theater or Ram's Head Live, there's, you're probably not going to hear a, a huge difference in like the toms and the kick drum and stuff because you know everything's just so loud and just in your face but studio when you go into a studio and they spend like three hours miking up the kit and finding the best you know tuning it and all that that's that's when you really hear a difference mm -hmm. um so yeah like different woods softer woods uh sound different than more dense woods so like i like like the birch wood it's they're a little bit punchier sounding a lot of people like old school guys like like maple kits because it's more of a fatter sound it's kind of hard to explain but yeah if you hear if you watch youtube videos you can hear the difference um the, the drum heads themselves make almost make a bigger impact on the sound to me because there's different thicknesses there's you know there's two ply there, there's one ply there's two ply there's the different materials there's coated there's not coated sometimes the two plies will have nothing in between sometimes they'll have like a little bit of like this uh um like a, a dampener in between sometimes it's like a cloth sometimes it's like an oil 
So there's there's a ton of different things that can really affect it. You're probably not going to notice too much of it live when you hear when you see a band live at a big venue, but in a studio, yeah, you'll you'll definitely hear well, differences. Well, a, a question that I'm sure a lot of people probably want to know when they when they've gone to you know you don't really see it too much in the I wouldn't say the pros, but in the like the big concerts. Uh, what's with the blanket in the in the drum? Like what, what what's with that? I've always wanted to know that. Like growing up, I always saw drummers put um in their big big drum. What is that called? What kick is, drum. The kick drum. Bass yeah. Drum? They would put like <laughs> they would put like uh, blankets and a whole bunch of stuff in there, like pillows. Wh- why? Why is that? Uh. Uh, a lot of it's probably just to deaden the sound. I mean, some people do it, some people don't. Um, okay. A lot of it's to, to deaden the sound. Like, it, 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 if you don't have something in there, some the kick drum, depending on how it's tuned, can sound really boomy. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like a, a more defined, like punchy sound. So, like, I always had this. Uh, I used to at first I would put a blanket in there or a pillow or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Evans Drumheads actually has like this cushion that you actually put in there, and you can like strap Velcro to the bottom and it, it'll it'll like stay there so it won't move around and um it's really just to get a little bit punchier sound a little more definition um because if not you know i don't you've probably seen drummers they have like some of them don't even have a drum head on the front of their kit and it just the kick drum is just sounds kind of boomy or spacey and it's just not you know more indie bands kind of do that that you know it's so it's like a certain sound yeah if you don't want a punchy in your face kick drum and a lot of people will have like no drum head on the front and it's just it's all preference and what what kind of sound you're going for but okay um yeah so yeah a lot of different variables can affect that and uh you know over time my my tastes have evolved and i you know i like a punchy really like kind of kind of punchier sound to my drums and i like the drums to cut through i don't like you know i hate hearing recordings and i hate, hate seeing bands where you know the drums just kind of sound so buried in the mix that you can't really um you can't really hear what's going on like you can't really tell you can't really tell the difference between a kick drum and a bass guitar because it kind of gets muddy so um yeah that's why i kind of like the birch kit because it it, i think it's a little punchy and cuts through um snare drum's different uh some people like wood snares some people like metal i like metal i think it cuts through a little better um my snare drum i use is actually like nickel plated and it's a very, very crisp, uh, very crisp, crisp snare, and it really cuts through a mix really well. Um, it's loud. Do you? Uh, do you? Uh, I know music stores are pretty much dying nowadays, but do you still buy everything in store, or do you actually like? Do you test drive it before you buy it, or do you just order online because you already know what it's gonna be like? So I'm not. I, I would just say I haven't bought anything new. For a while, mm-hmm. um, my initially yes, I was all about testing it and symbols. Uh, I'm still kind of that way. If I have to buy a symbol, um, I will go if they have it in stock. A lot of time, so th- there's really not a whole lot of music stores around, like you said. It's pretty much Guitar Center or some mom and pa shop. Yeah, you know, music and arts doesn't really carry anything. Uh, um, there's there's a couple in Baltimore, like Bill's Music. I've never really been there. There's uh, what's the one in Bel Air, I can't remember. Um, I, but, know, I know, you know what you're talking the, about. The smaller shops, smaller shops, in my experience, tend to cater more toward guitars and those kind of. They don't really carry a whole lot of drum stuff. So, I usually just order stuff online. I watch YouTube videos. I read reviews. I, I'm I'm a research whore, so I will 
research something for like three weeks before I buy it, you know, because I want to make sure it's the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I mostly, I guess now I order stuff online. I've actually really evolved. I don't even typically I don't play on an acoustic kit anymore. I have a Roland electronic kit and I use that 90% of the time now. Really? Because it's so much, yeah, it's so much easier and especially for practice because we practice at Dan's house uh-huh. and uh, he's got a kid upstairs and we're practicing at night so you know I can control the volume and we've actually used it live uh, a few times now. We play smaller venues and you know having a big loud drum kit you know smashing cymbals it's just it doesn't work really well in like a coffee shop or something like that so when we're playing small venues it, it really really works out really nice because um, it's just so much easier to mix and control the sound so okay. that's what I've been playing mostly okay okay you um well you kind of you kind of gave a good segue into my next question that I was going to ask you um venues okay so how many live shows have you played and <laughs> I want the exact damn number. Eight thousand three hundred and four. No, I, I have no idea. Um, what um, was what was the what was the what was the biggest and what was the smallest? And you can't say the JS Festival. <laughs> no, the Carnival was the smallest. No, actually, I've played smaller shows. Believe it or not, um, the smallest show I ever played was probably at a place in Baltimore called Brass Monkey. No, not Brass Monkey. What was that other place called? Um, oh man, I can't remember what it was called now. But uh, it was it was right like across the street from this car dealership, and this stupid guy used to have these commercials on. Um, right across the street from a car was, dealership. It what? Yeah, dude. It was right on Bel Air Road. And Is it, it was, Fletcher's? Um, Fletch- no, 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 no. Not it Fletcher's. Was, uh, uh. There was this really annoying guy. He sounded like he was straight out of Dundalk, and he, <laughs> oh man, I can't remember his name, but he had he flooded the flooded the area with these commercials, and he had like three or four dealerships, and it was okay. awful. Uh, he was so annoying. But this venue was like right across the street, and literally we played for the other bands, and that, <laughs> that, was, that it? was it. Like <laughs> nobody showed up, nobody knew where the place was, nobody wanted to go. You know, well, what it, it, like? How does that make you feel, like? You know, because I'm sure at that time, you've already kind of established yourself that you are in a band, and you've probably invited many people. But like, do you ever feel let down when people don't show up, or do you just kind of like it is what it is? <laughs> uh, so I used to. Um, when I first started, you know, it was really hard because we were young. I mean, when I first started playing out in Baltimore, I mean, you know, I you know was playing with Brian and Dan, you yeah. know, and. Uh, Teo was our bass player like we started out playing and you know we were all young and it was hard to get people to drive into the city because the city was like a foreign country to everybody you know nobody wanted to go into Baltimore um so it was it was rough at first then once people started you know going out and drinking and all this stuff you know when we hit our early 20s it was a lot easier and um yeah when I didn't get people there it did I did get a little let down because uh you know it's like you just you create something and you want people to hear it and when they don't come out you're like why why didn't they come out you know what did i do did they not like me did, you know start yeah. feeling self-conscious and uh most of the time it was more people just had other stuff going on or you know they had to work or whatever and you know it is what it is but um yeah there's been a ton of times where people are like yeah i'll be there and 
you know, three hours later, you're like waiting and they're like not there and they're not showing up. And then it's, oh man, sorry, I got caught up doing this or that. And yeah, you know, it, it, it can get annoying and it can, it can be a pain, but, um, yeah. So the smallest show that I ever played was literally, and it was probably a couple of them. We just played for the other bands because n- nobody showed up. The largest show, um, one of the largest shows was, was like an ashes to embers. It was like our first CD release. We recorded like, I don't know, 11 songs or something. Yeah. And we had, there, there was, it was record theater was packed and it was awesome. Um, we had a really good lineup that night. We had really good bands. We asked to play with us and everybody that we invited pretty much came because it was a big deal for us. And we, you know, we made people know that this is a big deal for us. Did I go to that? I went to a couple, I went to two of your shows at record. Um, yeah, it was at record. I don't, I don't remember if you were there or not. I, there was a bunch of people. Well, yeah, I I know. Well, if I would have went, if I would have went, I know I went to a couple shows with Sean. So, because I know Sean mm-hmm. came to a couple shows. Anyway, yeah, but go on. Yes, that show it was so, big. I mean, in terms of like actual attendance, that was a pretty big one. We've played for a lot of national acts, like open for them, been direct support. Um, so, in terms of like bands that we've played with, uh, uh, I've played with Puddle of Mud. I've played with uh, Twelve Stones, The Dreaming, um, um, Smile Empty Soul, Hurt. I mean, n- nobody like huge you know but there were all bands that have been on the radio and that yeah. were, you know had a hit single at some point you know um there was a couple of bands that i really wish that i had gotten to play with and i didn't um one of those was 10 years mm-hmm. um they came around a couple times when we were playing and we tried really hard to get on those shows but ended up that what? spot ended up going to another local band that i'm not gonna mention but Do you, real, definitely didn't deserve it real, real quick um do you have like uh during this time do you, do you guys like so when you're a local band do you have a manager or was it just you guys trying to do all the groundwork <laughs> just reaching out to them um, yeah it's us so in in Baltimore it's not like you have to deal directly with the venues pretty much there's promoters that you know set up deals with these with a bunch of venues and they just book the shows for them and you know they take a cut um the venue doesn't really care so much uh you know who's really booking it as long as people are there drinking and buying yeah. drinks <laughs> that's all they care about so uh but yeah there's there's been a handful of promoters through baltimore over the years and we just kind of you know we figure okay. out who it is and we email them and typically like when you're starting out they'll get you on like a sunday night show or something mm-hmm. where ones that you know a, a non-prime show they'll get you on one just to see how you do and if you do well you draw well and play well you know they'll They'll start putting you on the Friday, Saturday night shows, and um, okay. So yeah, we, it's pretty it... much us. And and for as long as I've been playing with Dan, Dan's been been the man. You know, he's yeah. he's pretty much handled all that because he's he's just really good at it. And so there's like so. A, there's kind of like a an unwritten like community of local music musicians, and that's that's basically what you're saying. There's like a you know, so if you do well, this person will say something to this person. Next, you know, word of mouth. You guys are on 98 Rock, you know? So, (laughs) with that said, you guys were on 98 Rock, weren't you? (laughs) We were. Um, So, yeah, like, it's really, I I would say getting good shows is really based on your draw, how many people you, how many tickets you sell. Yeah. Um, 
um, because I've seen some bands that sell really well and they bring a ton of people out, but they're not really good. And they just know a lot of people. <laughs> my sorry. Oh. My computer keeps locking, and I'm like afraid that I'm going to get disconnected to you. It's probably not going to happen, but whatever. Um, so yeah, we we uh, we love you, Windows. Windows. <laughs> I'm actually running Linux because I'm a nerd. Are you really? Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. Alex would be happy. He's been trying to give me to run Linux on this computer for like he he already. Never mind. That's a side note. We're getting too far out of <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that conversation another time. Um, so yeah, so that that you know, uh, the whole 98 Rock thing was like a separate deal. Um, Matt Davis, who was a DJ at 98 Rock, mm-hmm. he was doing this thing called Noise in the Basement, and it was. Basically, Sunday nights, he would, or, or Monday nights would be the Noise in the Basement show. And Sunday nights, the night before, he would bring those bands that are playing the show on to, into the, the station, and they would do an on-air interview. And it was like a you know, five-minute interview. It wasn't anything crazy. But you got to go on there, talk to Matt Davis, and he would play one of your tracks on 98 Rock. And, you know, for being a local band, you're like, man, this is awesome. We're going to be on the radio. Um Nobody really listens on to 98 Rock on Sunday nights. Uh, so <laughs> it's kind of the same deal as like playing a show on a Sunday night. You know, most people are like kind of, you know, at nine o'clock, they're getting ready for bed because they got to get up early the next morning. So it's not like a prime, prime time music slot on 98 Rock. But mm. it's still the fact of being in a radio station and talking to a DJ there and playing music, you know, pumping out across to everybody's stereo. It's a really cool feeling, and well, we it, got to do that several times. It feels like it probably feels like the next step, if that makes sense. You probably feel like, okay, I've been grinding, grinding, grinding. This is the next step, and it, it just—I could see that being, you know, feeling pretty yeah, good. You never know. You never know who's listening. I mean, the the music industry is different today than it was twenty, thirty years ago. You know, so you know, there, there's scouts out there that you know, listen, but there's so much music, you know, once the internet became a thing where people could upload stuff, it, it took off, you know, and now yeah. there's, there's so much music, so many good bands out there that it's really hard to stand out and it's really hard to get noticed. So at the time though, you know, we're, when we first, I don't, I don't remember how old I was when I first uh, got on 98 Rock, but I was, you know, late I was probably, you know, 20, 21, I guess, something like that is when I, I don't even know if I was 21 at the time, but um, maybe early 20s. I can't remember. Uh, I have a terrible memory. <laughs> but yeah, so at the time I'm thinking, man, somebody could be listening, you know, whatever. And um, yeah, it's it's a really cool feeling. It doesn't really do a whole lot for you, though. Um, but it, it was a really cool concept that Matt Davis had. I guess I guess he's the one that came up with it. It was a really cool concept. And you know, I appreciate the opportunities that he, you know, kind of did, kind of made for all these local bands to, to get their music out there. It wasn't really to get noticed, but to get people to hear it and to, to build some kind of community. And I think it went pretty far for that in terms of that. Yeah. Um, now, but, you... yeah, we we got to play. We, we did the interview thing, and we got our music played on there. The, the coolest time I was that our, my music was played over the radio was when I actually got to play live acoustically. Mm-hmm. Uh that was a pretty cool feeling playing in the studio <laughs> it was also very nerve-wracking because you're like what if we mess up don't mess up <laughs> yeah. well that's pretty that's pretty cool i mean it is it is sad i, I agree with you 100 percent. i mean you know 
everyone okay well for the people that are um, listening to this right now if you saw the movie A Star is Born you know that's that's the old way of finding good musicians <laughs> like I that, haven't seen it but I well that's it. well it's just the I mean I'm not, there's no spoiler in this he comes across some Lady Gaga I mean you know or she's not Lady Gaga in the shank but imagine being a musician a famous musician and you hear somebody else's band so that's kind of what what that was but anyway um they don't do uh you know like like what you said i mean i can upload this podcast and tomorrow a news station can be like i like your podcast i heard it on the internet you no one actually comes out and see you anymore no one sees you in action <laughs> i mean that was a bad analogy a podcast you don't see people live at um <laughs> but it's just you know whatever you you, you kind of get the point here so i definitely agree with you on that one um Let's see. I am so professional here. I have a list of uh, so you talked about the shows, which was really cool. I think um, one thing that we kind of skipped over, and uh, we do have a couple more minutes, so I kind of wanted to hear this. Um, we 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 talked about it, I think, in the beginning, but so you said that you've you've been in a couple different bands, but there's always been one key person, and I'm guessing that's Dan. For the most part, yeah, correct. Yeah, now, so did you ever venture before? You know, before we talk about Dan, did you ever venture out away from Dan? Did you ever feel guilty for leaving Dan, or, <laughs> or vice versa? <laughs> like, I mean, so all right, tell, uh, yes. Okay, so Dan and I met uh, through you. I will give you the credit, so everybody can hear it. <laughs> oh, thank God! I have uh, I have something cause... right. I suck at bass. <laughs> I suck no, at because you know when. So my first first band, I guess, whatever, was uh, first – yeah, my first band was with Greg and Brian. So after we graduated, you know, it didn't work out with Greg. He ended up leaving the band. So that same day, we – I guess Brian was talking to you on AIM or something. I don't know what – it was a phone call, whatever. But you were like, hey, I met this guy. I was trying to start a band. I met this guy, Dan. He was a really good singer. You should hit him up. Here's his AIM screen name. So, so funny, funny story. Let me tell you how I met Dan real quick. I was on Craigslist. No, no. Well, I don't know if it was Craigslist. I don't know. It was some chat. It was, it was some chat. BaltimoreBands.com. BaltimoreBands.com. Yes. So I – Or Hartford County Bands. One of them. There was two of them. It might have been know. Hartford County because he's from – he was near John Carroll at the time. Um, so yeah. I – for some damn reason, I was still trying to be a bass player. Um <laughs> So I sent the message. I was like, hey, I'm looking for a guitar player or a lead singer. I'm trying to, you know, or I'm a bass player trying to look for a band. Now, I, I actually went to another band at one point in time. It was one of Sean's friends from college, and that didn't work out. But I, um, Dan messaged me, and he said, hey, you know, hey, you want to get together, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. I was over at my high school sweetheart's house at the time, Jenna. I lied to him. Because I didn't, I never met anybody off the internet in person, so I was so scared that he was going to come murder me. So I said that Jenna's father worked for the FBI. <laughs> so funny. So he comes over nonchalant, you know, this guy, you know, at you know, long fucking hair, looks like uh, Eddie Vedder, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you know, he has his guitar. We go downstairs into the basement, and he just, uh, I didn't even have my bass. He didn't even, you know, he just started singing. And uh, I was like, man, this guy's good. 
And he was just telling me about the story about he was in a band and how his old drummer, you know, used to like Lincoln Park and all this other stuff. We were talking, we were talking for a while. <laughs> he did like Lincoln Park. <laughs> we were talking. Met him. <laughs> we were talking for a while, and I instantly knew this guy is way out of my league. Like I'm gonna date him, um, and I was just like, "Hey, I have a friend that I know that plays drums. Uh, let's go over there." And I messaged Brian because you and Brian were, you know, Brian was still playing guitar. You were doing drums. And, uh, and that's how that, that's, that's, there you go. That's the story that I, that's the only yeah, story so, I have. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny you said dating because building a band is just like dating. Like you have to meet somebody, you have to see if you guys click and you have to see if like, is my style going to mesh with his, you know? And it's like, there's personality quirks. It's like, you have to, you have to find somebody you're compatible with or else it will not work. And yeah, so um, we we ended up the same day, you know, Greg was like, yeah, I can't do it anymore or whatever. Brian and I reached out to Dan and it was like 9.30 that night. Dan was like, I'm coming over. And we were like, okay, cool. So I called Brian. I'm like, Brian, he's coming over, you know, come over. So he came over. Uh, Dan played a few songs. We jammed for a little bit, and you know that that started our our first band. Then we ended up eventually getting a bass player in Teo, and I think we met him through Brian. But anyway, that was my first start with Dan, and that was the summer of 2004. Um, after a while, you know, we played for I don't know, probably about a year or so, and things started to fall apart. So Dan and I moved on to start another band with somebody that he was in a previous band with and we started and it wasn't really working out um you know I, the the writing wasn't there with the with the guitar player so i kind of backed out and was like yeah no I'm, not, I'm good um i'm gonna try to find something else and i tried and failed because it's really hard to find you know a band me, me specifically because at the time we were in bel-air or you know harford county pop punk was like the thing and i didn't want to play pop punk so every band was like trying to play pop punk and trying to be blink 182 and some 41 and all that so like i didn't want to do that and i wanted to play rock hard rock so it was very difficult for me and then i guess dan moved on to start another band with um he through which he met mike and um they played for a while and then that broke up and they were like oh we need a drummer we're gonna build a new band so dan came to me and they had another bass player Sorry, I just hit my mic. So we started jamming, and things worked out really well. So from then on, it was me, Dan, and Mike pretty much through every band that I've been in. Um, Dan has kind of ventured out and done some uh, – done done other projects with different people. and you know. But at the same time, we've always had some kind of project going, me and Dan. And um, for a little while, it was just me and Dan and someone else doing like an acoustic thing and then – you know, that person left and we brought someone else in and then they left and then we brought Mike back in and now huh, we we have then we got another bass player in Joe and so now me, Dan, Mike and Joe started off playing acoustically and now we've built it into a full band rock not really too hard rock but it gets you know a little heavy here and there yeah. um, and that, that's our current incarnation we've been playing together for uh, I don't know in this in this uh, formation, we've been playing for I guess a couple of years now. Um, well, I will say this: and, um, listening uh, from from a listener point of view, because you know you have fans and stuff, and I might not. I, I don't live in the state of Maryland, so I can't go to your shows. I see the way you guys uh, push things, and I've seen a couple of the acoustic sets that uh, you have played drum on for Dan and things like that. And uh, I've uh, 
you know, I love seeing the progressive, the, the progressiveness of you guys. Um, you know, from when you guys first started, Dan and you, when you guys first started and then just moving on. Um, I've met Mike maybe once or twice. He probably doesn't even know who I am. But I, I've met him, you know, I've, I've seen him before and uh, definitely don't know the, the, the bass player. Um, but I've, I've heard you guys' music. So I've heard Dan. Dan's evolved voice-wise because I, I've, you know, I always loved his... I always loved the way he sings. I never understood him a long time ago, but now I can understand him much better. Um, so he's definitely involved, at least for me. That's my personal opinion, and I enjoy actually listening to some of Well, I, I have been for years, but I enjoy more than I ever have before because I can actually understand him a little bit more. Um, and yeah, he's he has he has definitely evolved. He, he was very much Eddie Vedder. Well, he, was a- uh, he was like a... He, and you know, I that was a problem I had with Pearl Jam is I can never understand Eddie Vedder, so I didn't really yeah. like Pearl Jam. He loved him, and he sung a lot like him. And over the years, yes, he has he has definitely evolved. And Dan is is one of the greatest, you know. And I'm not saying this to you know because he's listening or anything, but I mean Dan is one of the greatest <laughs> uh, lyricists and and songwriters that I've met, I've ever played with and I, I've seen locally. Because not only can the guy, you know, just bang out. Uh, lyrics, you know, in like two minutes, you know, Mike and I will jam on something. He'll be like, all right, I got something for that already. And we're like, what? We don't even know what we're playing yet. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he can just bang lyrics out like that and they're awesome. But he's also really good at writing melodies and, Mm -hmm. and just, just, he's gotten so good at writing things that are catchy, but also not corny. You know, like some bands like to write things that are just catchy and Mm -hmm. they end up coming off really corny. Like he doesn't do that. He's, he's kind of mastered writing catchy lyrics that aren't corny and that really say something and mean something and uh I, that's yeah Dude. that evolution has you know that i've seen over the years is, it's been amazing and you know me him and mike have been playing together for years and we've we've just gotten so tight and mike and i are able to feed off each other so well we kind of know where one another's going if we're jamming on something new and trying to write like you know the three of us just just mess really well together uh, writing wise, that's why we've stuck together and, well, and I, played together. I so, bet I know the answer to this next question. I bet you all. I bet you those two men were in your wedding. Close. Dan Close. was my best man. Okay. Yeah. And, I. Uh, I didn't. We didn't have a big wedding. Oh, Mike, okay. Mike was in the wedding. He was at the wedding, but he wasn't in the wedding. Um, but that's a uh, show. Yeah. That just shows what you were talking about earlier. That it's it was a really you know it's kind of like dating someone. And then you guys are just, you know, the relationship that you guys had is is pretty awesome. I mean, and going back to what you else were saying about the lyrics, I mean, uh, I always enjoyed his poems because – or just like anything that he would put out. Uh, he definitely can write. Um, I always tease him about a certain song that I'm not going to say on this on this <laughs> thing. But I, I – but the reason why – the reason why I tease him is because – it is like I I've always been an emo pop punk kind of guy. Nothing I love hard rock. Don't get me wrong. I mean you know I enjoy my Chevelle and uh, if you consider that hard rock, um, <laughs> I, I enjoy some things. But anyway, um, but the lyrics though, it it actually I actually felt good when I heard the lyrics. So that's why that song that is not in exist anymore, and I don't even know half the lyrics anymore. Um, but yeah. that song alone is just something. And in the way he sung it, it. It was good. It was like a good. It was a. Oh man, it was. A, it was a good thing. Dan, if you're listening, yeah. I love you. <laughs> I hope you know that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I haven't even actually said the name of the band. 
for the podcast. So I kind of have to, you know, advertise my band since we're talking about well, it. Well, absolutely. The, the band is called Think Again. So okay. it evolved from a, a solo project that Dan did called Think Vocally. Mm-hmm. And he used that name to brand his, his acoustic solo stuff for years. And then uh, and it kind of evolved and brought other people in, like me and other people. And we kind of played as a trio for a while. And then eventually, you know, Mike and Joe came in. And it, once, once other people got involved, like I, I played hand drum with him uh, a lot at coffee shops and stuff when he was as, as Think Vocally. But I wasn't really in the band. I wasn't really credited with it because he wrote everything. I just kind of played a beat behind it. Yeah. But once we started, you know, actually bringing other people in and we all kind of got together and started writing. So we, we, it evolved to Think Again. So the band is called Think Again. You can go to our website at thinkagainband.com. I love Or you can look on Facebook. I love the plug. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Check it out. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to look it up right now fucking now while I'm doing this. (laughs) Oh, there you go. We've been working over, over the last year. Mm-hmm. We've been working on um, uh, recording. So we got about, I don't know, five or six songs. We've literally today, we were, because we have a, a, a Facebook message thread uh, mm-hmm. for the band. Literally today, we were going over final mixes. And um, we have our EP releases coming up on, oh, God, what's the date? Is it May 17th? I have to look at my calendar. It's uh, yeah, May seventeenth. Um, we're actually releasing our EP, so oh, wow. we're trying to get the final mixes in so we can go out and actually or send it out and actually get it pressed and get CDs made. Dan's Dan did all the uh, album cover work and uh, we actually just did a little photo shoot with his wife, so we got a, a nice mm-hmm. good band photo in there. So we're literally finalizing the mixes now, so we can send it out hopefully this week and uh. Well, what I'll do yeah, is so, um, when this uh, podcast podcast comes up this week, I'll uh, I'll put the link of uh, everything down below, and I'll put I'll actually put the date on there too when your EP comes out. So hopefully it comes out that day, Fred. Don't let me down. <laughs> we have a show in Bel Air that day, so I hope it comes out that day too. Um, <laughs> well, what time's your no, show? We, uh, I can. Any uh, local viewers in Maryland, <laughs> you need to go. <laughs> I actually don't remember. I'm I'm really bad at this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Oh, what a uh, drummer. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple other bands playing, and I don't know what time we actually start playing yet. But, uh, yeah, so this this new recording, it's this is full band stuff, and this is this is big boy stuff because we've been working with Tony Corelli, um, who's like a master producer in, in, in locally here. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of him, so I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Deep End Studios. So we've been working with him, and we, we've done some – previous acoustic recordings with him and stuff we kind of recorded with somebody else brought them to him to kind of fix because they weren't like we wanted and he really just he works magic man he's awesome but we actually recorded with him all this stuff and it just sounds amazing and i I can't wait to get it out there i mean maybe maybe i can uh uh on a future podcast i can come out we can actually play some of it but uh it's oh, it's nice. awesome and we'll be on it'll be on spotify itunes all the major platforms mm-hmm. um, plus you know check our facebook out because i'm sure we'll be we'll be uh posting some links maybe where to buy physical copies probably we did that before we had an online store so yeah and i'll uh, but... i'll put i'll shoot out a link on uh this um this facebook page that everyone goes to um one last question before we skedaddle um yeah. 
now since you're a married man and I believe Dan has a child, a son, right? He does. And I'm sure to your other members of the band, do they are they married, have kids? How uh how do you how do you do it now in your cause I'm, I don't want to I don't want to age drop you. But in your 30s, <laughs> how do you uh <laughs> How do you uh, how is local music different from being in the thirties than it was being in the twenties? So um I guess it's a multiple part question. So the <laughs> the music scene when I was well, first going out and playing and it was it was it was very different from what it is now. And that's not just because of my age, it's just because of the people in the scene and the promoters that are in there now versus who used to be there. So before it was kind of there were some promoters and you kind of got in a show and they didn't really care what bands were playing they would just book a bunch of bands that you know would draw well and you'd have a pop punk band and a screamo band and a metal band and you know all these and it was awful and there was no real sense of community there but over the years some of those promoters have kind of been phased out and some guys you know specifically now that actually play in bands you know kind of started their own companies and now they're promoting and they do a much better job of trying to piece bands together for a show that mesh well together so that way if somebody's coming to see this band and then they hear this band playing they might stick around for it because you know if you're going to see a pop punk band and they end and then a metal band comes on you're leaving you know yeah. you don't want to stick around for that but uh they do a much better job now of that so with that though has come a lot of a lot of different personalities now playing in bands. So there's there's a, a greater sense of community in the Baltimore scene because a lot of these guys, I'll be honest, I'm not really part of it. I told you before, I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't really do a whole lot outside of the house. Yeah. Um, but there's there's guys, like my bass player specifically, Joe, he's in like, I don't know, four or five, six bands. Like he'll play with a bunch of different bands. They do monthly shows where um, uh, they'll have like one show and it, it'll be basically – you sign up and with other people and you do a cover and the whole point is to get different people from different bands playing with each other on a song and it's a really cool concept i've, I've done one of them uh i know joe pretty much does every one of them i guess but so yeah, there's there's definitely a, a, a better community now and it, what used to be kind of cutthroat and trying to be the best band now everybody wants to kind of work together to put on a great show and you know and like i said a lot of these guys are in different bands with each other and you know uh, it, it's it's very different now. Now, in terms of my age, being in my thirties, <laughs> the biggest thing that's different for me now is trying to get people out to shows because everybody's got jobs and kids and you know yeah, responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, hey, we're playing Saturday night and we go on at ten, and they're like, ugh, yeah. So I'm I, in I bed gotta get by up nine. And, <laughs> yeah. It's like I I gotta I gotta go to bed because I gotta get up uh, by like you know nine on Sunday, and we're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so. It's uh, it's definitely different, you know. Being in my thirties now, I'm thirty-three. I'll just drop it. Um, ah, that's all right. You no. know, it's definitely different in, in terms of getting people out. Um, and, and that's why, as a band, think again, has kind of evolved. We don't we don't go out in Baltimore a ton to play. We like to play locally now because it's easier to get people out. Yeah. We do a lot of acoustic shows because you can do those in a family-friendly environment, so people can come and bring their kids, and you know, so we're not really in the mix in the scene so much anymore. We do play shows. We, um, um, we do, we do a handful of shows, uh, in Baltimore, but we don't play, we're not playing like every three, four weeks out in Baltimore. That's just not what we do anymore because, you know, we all have obligations and 
it's it's just hard to hard hard sell now for us because uh, all well, of our friends are you know the same age. <laughs> well, you we still you still do it because you love it. Obviously, at this point, you I'm not saying I'm not saying the break hasn't ever came and it it, it might not or it might it might come. I mean, I'm not saying that is happening, but to a point where you guys are not really look. I mean, I can't speak for you, so this is gonna sound like I'm speaking for you. So maybe I should shut the fuck up. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, it just seems like you guys, the passion that you guys have, you guys are still rocking because you guys just love the music. You love playing. You love being around each other. It's like a it's a brotherhood that, you know, you can't you can't really put down in words. But with that said, if a record label came tomorrow, would you guys turn it down or would you guys really contemplate it? Um. I think that's a pretty far-fetched thing, but if it did happen, um, I guess we'd have a serious discussion. I mean, we all have careers that we've, you know, like me myself, I've I've worked hard to get where I am in my career. I know Dan has done the same. I know Mike has done the same. Joe's kind of, he's worked in a bunch of different places, but he's, I think he's solidifying uh, his career as we speak as well. So uh, I don't know. That would be a difficult thing because typically when you get signed it's not a guaranteed you're going on tour i mean it's they'll set you up with some local shows and they'll do some things for you to see how things go but you can't really be tied down to a nine to five yeah doing that kind of stuff um so uh i don't know it would have to be the right situation and and the the right deal um Mm -hmm. i don't know hard to say uh like i said everybody's got families now you know dan and and mike both have kids yeah um so it's it would probably not happen. I, I would say, even if it was, it would, if somebody brought it to us, probably we'd probably turn it down because, like I said, of family obligations and careers. But, but yeah, I bet you, know. I bet it, you would feel good though. <laughs> like, can I frame this contract even though I don't sign it? <laughs> like, yes. uh, like, let me just have proof. <laughs> like, it's like it's like somebody being like nominated for an award but not yeah. winning. Like, well, you still. But you like, still have that title for the rest of your fucking life. So it's just like, like bam. But, record label, I don't even know how you would how you would write that. Like, oh, record label man. offered, think again. You know? No, it's – yeah, it's a different time, though. The, 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 the whole getting signed thing is very different, and yeah. it doesn't mean what it used to mean. So yeah. Well, we've, we've toyed with some management companies and stuff like that, but ultimately everybody's just out to get money. It's not really – nobody looks out for you. So. Yeah. I'd be skeptical, but yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Words of wisdom. I like it. Well, Fred, thank you so much for being on this podcast. We we need to do this again. You actually have a really good podcast voice. Does anybody tell you that? For someone that's Nobody very – told me that because I've never been on a podcast. For someone that's uh, kind of antisocial, <laughs> you can uh, – I'm not antisocial. I'm just an introvert. I don't like to go out in large crowds Dude, of people. I like I'm an idiot. So when you out. say introvert, mm-hmm. I think an alien. So stop saying this damn word. <laughs> like, what is this? What is this? You know, this Vulcan doing over here? <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. So I would love to come back. We we have you seen Endgame yet? Uh, I did see Endgame. Yes. Okay. That's have you? Conversation for another day. Yes, I've seen it twice. Um, uh, I will say this real quick about Endgame. It's not the greatest movie of all time. It's amazing, but it's not the greatest movie of all time. There is probably one scene out of that whole movie that I, I will say is probably my favorite scene that I've ever seen in any movie in my entire life. 
And I have an idea of what that would be. I will tell you as soon as... a specific spot toward the end. I will tell you as soon as I hit stop the stop recording button. But before I stop <laughs> recording, I would like to say thank you, Fred, again. Uh, check out Fred's band, Think Again. And uh, the EP drops, what, May 17th, you said? Yep. Thinkagainband.com. Think which again, is on Facebook. Band, yeah. And yeah. Absolutely. Joe Sucks. Oh, 